Yeah, ownership. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Antidote. I nearly forgot the name of my own podcast then. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> um, yeah, welcome to Antidote, the podcast about alternative health. I'm joined by Obi today and he is the Green Man PT of Green Flow Fitness and Wellbeing. And he has the dubious honour of being the first male guest to grace the Antidote Airwaves. Well, Obi, how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, it's my first podcast, so... Uh, wow, we so many firsts. Okay, so the first male guest, first podcast. So you represent all mankind at this point, so your performance will determine if you're the first of many men or the first and last, so no problem. Well, I never do a podcast ever again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so Obi is a personal trainer and... I don't think he'll mind me saying that he's a, he's a bit of an old fella. He welcomed his first babber two years ago at the ripe old age of, were you 39 when your son was born? 40, yeah. Approaching 40. Oh, gosh, yeah. So you were like a geriatric dad, I think. No, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> I was almost a geriatric mum. I was 35 when Onyx was born. And then a week later, I was 36. Okay. So That's he'll good. become one and I'll become 37. So, okay. yeah. I think it's good. Just wait, you know. I had lots of stuff to do, lots of learning and growing. So yeah. no rush. We're all living a lot longer now, aren't we? So we've got time to pace ourselves. Um, so Obi, you grew up with illness. Um, was that your own or a family member's? And can you tell us a bit about that and how it shaped your approach to wellness as an adult? Yeah, um, so that was mine. Um I, I had asthma from when I was two years old. Um, now today when people hear asthma it's like oh well you got a little pump in your pocket everybody's got asthma easy peasy um, yeah this was this was the early 80s so there wasn't there wasn't a little pump there wasn't even an asthma pump at that, at that point so um it was quite dangerous people were still dying from it quite quite a lot um and i remember being on all these experimental things like there was this pump that looked like a coca-cola bottle like a two liter coca-cola bottle that i had to you know <laughs> And my poor parents, they had to do, of course, you know, all the fear was theirs because I was a kid. So I, I was just in hospital a lot. Wow. Um, but of course, my dad had seen a friend of his die in hospital from asthma. Wow. So that's, he associated it with, with that. So um, for years, you know, I, I think about three years, I was just in and out of hospital um, until my dad just put his foot down and decided that we've got to do something because we're going to lose this boy. So he stuck me in karate. Okay. And, um, that was to his horror. I just never stopped doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. That backfired, didn't it, Dad? <laughs> in a Nigerian, I think he was hoping that it would just be a little hobby and then I'd, uh, you know, become a lawyer or a businessman. And um, I just loved combat sports and stuff. So it it, it was the beginning of my, my health journey, to be honest. <laughs> So how did your father, your Nigerian father, in South London, were you born? Or That's right, yeah. You grew up in South London, yeah. So how did he even know about karate? Was it like a big, was there a... I mean, there'd been Bruce Lee, at the, you know, in the, in the yeah. decade before. Um, and I think maybe a flyer, a local thing. What, what I remember is, as basically a five-year-old, walking, my dad drove me to this hall at night, um, I had to take off my shoes and socks, which was weird for me in this hall. And then there's a bunch of kids and we line up and then we take turns running at this punch bag and either punching it or kicking it. And it was fun. Wow. And um, eventually the guy spoke to my dad and said, look, he's, he's 
it's pretty good. Um, I'm going to send you to a different class where they actually do this. So the next thing I knew, I was somewhere else wearing these white pajamas, getting shouted at, shouting, punching and kicking, and um, and and the asthma was still there, but it, I started to forget about it because I was doing something I enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, whereas before that, I did normal kid stuff, running around, playing outside, but um, grass, cut grass, could set off my asthma. Smoke, bonfire night. I was in hospital the next day after every bonfire night. I couldn't, I couldn't go out for bonfire night. Um, so yeah, when when you when you don't have health, it really, really shapes your opinion or your philosophy on health. Mm. Because it's like if you're if you're healthy now, you're thinking about so many different things. But if you get sick. You're just thinking about that one thing. Only thing you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the only thing on your mind is how do I get well? How has this happened? Why has this happened? What is exactly. it? Yeah, it's all consuming, isn't it? So, do you are you still in touch with your? I, I don't even know what, what do they call him a sensei in karate. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't remember the guy's face or name. No. Um, since that time, I've probably done about fifteen different martial arts off the top of my head. Okay. A lot of them I've competed in or graded in or travelled across the world to you know Hong Kong or Thailand to, to train. Um, it's just combat sports and, and martial arts have always been my my passion. I loved basketball when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Football never really got me, which uh, upset a lot of family. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's unusual. Yeah, boxing, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, kung fu, karate, taekwondo. I just love, I just love it all. Okay. So do you do you still suffer with the asthma or has the treatment got so much better that it's just like nothing to you? Um, I do. I do still have it. Mm. Um, a lot of people grow out of it. I never, never had that luxury. So I always keep a pump near me at all times. When I'm training and eating well and looking after myself, it's not really a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but come, like if I get a cold, it can start to work its way down into my lungs and then it's asthma and then um i was in hospital shortly after moving here actually last year yeah um, with lung i think it was a lung infection or or something so um yeah my lungs lungs are still yeah still going on Mm. yeah it's a really interesting one isn't it because like if you like you say if you aren't well that it's so huge like a friend of mine has um recent well in the last three years gone from being very very fit to having like um chronic illness and she and I met through Buddhism and like the Buddhist philosophy of like not only illness but growing old and death is quite unique in that it's very um philosophical like it's seen as something that is teaching us so it teaches us humility when we're ill and it teaches us compassion because now we can relate better to somebody else who is sick so I thought I found that really that the Buddhist faith and those philosophies to be really helpful when dealing with illness is there anything else that is there any faith-based thing that you get a lot from I mean yeah uh, Buddhism again I I tend to kind of lean more towards kind of Zen style of Buddhism because it's the more uh, contemplative side of it it's less doctrine Mm -hmm. you know scriptures and stuff Um, Taoism you know, you can see my logo is very much based on the, the yin yang. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, in, in those philosophies, when you're ill, we, especially in the West, we have this tendency to run from an illness. 
I have this, it's it's attacking me and I'm separate to it. Whereas if you kind of welcome this illness as kind of as you say, there to teach you something, mm-hmm. you become one with it. Now that doesn't mean let it overrun you, but you can't understand something unless you get hold of it. If you're if you're constantly trying to hide from it and push it away, you're always going to be in conflict with this this thing. So it's a strange concept for us over here because that sounds a lot like saying oh, what, you've got cancer? That's okay, let it in. <laughs> that's, that's not it at all. No, exactly. It's a bit if subtle. you have it, you have it, yeah. And, and you yeah. have to know, okay, this is here. It's in my body. It's growing in my cells. What can be done? What can't be done? How do I come to terms with, you know, with that difference? Yeah, it's very hard, like you say, because over here that's quite an unusual reaction or response to ill health and especially with um children it's it's sometimes seen as like ignorant or reckless or like backwards because oh you know you're not you're going to just let your child like for example not be vaccinated or just let the cough run its course or let the fever run its course like that's dangerous what if it but I really think I really agree with you that the body's so clever isn't it so if you have a fever it's because that fever is going to be useful in you know letting the illness pass through or if you need to go to bed really really early it's because you're absolutely knackered and your body needs to be resting and asleep so that it can you know fight all the whatever's going on in its system so yeah I totally agree do you find um with parenting like so your child is nearly two years old now isn't they aren't they one one and a half um so do have you found that a challenge in this culture to like parent and adapt to your child's health in the way that you want yes definitely i mean it's it's tricky because whatever you think you believe in when you have to pass that down to somebody you better start checking it you better start okay. tasting it. <laughs> to really know your crap <laughs> if you're gonna decline a vaccine or if you're gonna yeah, and even yeah. then um, you can only do your best because we don't know and there's so many conflicting philosophies even within mainstream medicine there's so many conflicting philosophies and and ideas there's papers proving and disproving what the the other person said um so it becomes a very confusing time so yeah it's been it's been i think i think being in my 40s makes me a little calmer about it um because i've i've lived through things and seen things and you know it's at a point where i but but it's still my kid so if he ever gets the sniffles you're like do i need to you know, this has been going on for a week or so. Is this normal? You start Googling. That's the worst thing to do. Yeah, no. <laughs> Google's not your friend. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I think that mix, you know, I'm not I'm not an extremist in any way. I always I always balance. I look at things for their usefulness. I, I test this out, I test that out, you know, and um so yeah, I, I think he's only he's only one and a half, so I've only been a parent for five minutes, but Ask me again in 10 years, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if it's changed. Exactly. Um, I think, is it, yeah, like you say, it's important not to be too dogmatic or rigid because if you're just like, you know, oh, I definitely don't ever want to give him formula or I definitely don't ever want him to have cowpole, then, yeah. you know, it, yeah, it gives you, it doesn't really give you much space to go anywhere else. But yeah, I think, like you say, actually being a parent is the biggest sort of humbler where you might actually be like, oh, okay, no, I'm going to give him some cowpole or he's he's going to have the the dummy. That's right, yeah. It's happening live. It's, it's live and direct. So it's exactly. not, a, yeah. there's no practice. There's no, there's no book. Well, um... <laughs> 
Um, so I know that you have this important or you make this important distinction distinction between health and fitness and well-being. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's only I'm not sure if anyone shares this. I can't think if I've, if I've read this anywhere. But in, in my mind, um, the term fitness is, is much more a contextual term. Okay. So what I mean by that is we use the word fit in relation to a task. So somebody might say, you know, you're not fit to work, for example. Fit for purpose. We don't say somebody's not healthy for the task. We say they're not fit to task. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if somebody is a marathon runner, they're not fit to win a powerlifting competition. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. They're probably not fit to swim the channel, you know, despite them running for long distances and their, you know, their lungs might be great mm -hmm. um, and, and vice versa. You're not going to get a, a strong man and again to run a marathon. Um, so, when I think of health and well-being, health health is much more a measure of your well-being, of your day-to-day -day living. You know, living well, mm -hmm. your body being able to to do what it needs to do, what it's designed to do. Um, and the other thing is, of course, when you're looking at fitness, it often goes with sports. Now, I, I'm talking about combat sports that I love and grew up with, but I also understand that while you get fit doing these things, they're not necessarily healthy. Like I get I get punched in the head a lot during the week, and I, <laughs> and I have done most of my life. Um, when I, you know, like on a Friday night, rolling around with guys and we're trying to choke each other. Rip. And you did something else maybe you know so that's that's kind of the distinction i run but saying that like i was saying about yin and yang they're not polar opposites they are related there's a relationship between them mm -hmm. so things like your vo2 max that people like to talk about that's that's how your body consumes oxygen um if you're up in your vo2 max in performance that's going to make you healthier that's going to help your your day-to-day -day living in life mm -hmm. but when you look at sports a lot of people take extreme measures eating all kinds of things at all kinds of times um their joints are getting put through all kinds of things just to be the best or just to meet that task um i don't want to say that's necessarily conducive to healthy living or or your day-to-day well-being that's the physical side of course there's the mental aspect yeah. some people would say the spiritual aspect um so, yeah, I suppose that's where I kind of draw the line and then blur that line back in once I've done it. Yeah, that's really interesting. It reminds me of, um, like, when I've had jobs that I I really have, they really give me something spiritually, like I'm I'm passionate about it and I want to be there. But often those same, those same jobs tend to be the ones that are so grueling on your physical body, like the long shift oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, yeah. not eating very much or at the wrong times or doing nights, for example. So... Yeah, it um, often seems like you have to forfeit one for the other, and I'm trying to, I'm still trying to find a way to get it all in one and still pay the bills. <laughs> that relationship in all things, balance, balance is is my whole thing. Uh, the way I train people, the way I I look at the world and live life, it's finding balance. And balance is a tricky thing because if you stand on one leg, you're balancing, but all these tiny little muscles are really working to stabilize. They're, they're 
trembling, they're knitting together. And that's the same in life. Balance isn't just something you achieve and it's calm and you're on a mountaintop flowing. And, you know, it's it's something that takes effort to find. And once synergy happens and things work together. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's tricky to find things that you love, that yield what you need them to yield, the time to do them. Right now, I, I sleep about four hours a night because my son seems to hate me at night time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Balance in all things. That's that's where health really lies. Finding your your own balance, which is going to be individual to to the to the individual. Hundred percent. I'm really enjoying this. Thank you. It's very deep. I, yeah, I'm just just thinking. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I think you. So my son's going to be a year at the end of May. So I think you're about six months ahead of me. And I remember you speaking about the. Um, going to say sleep paralysis then not sleep paralysis what is it the term I, they have I, a... I suffer sleep paralysis but um, <laughs> um oh. you know what i'm talking about regression yeah so i haven't experienced that yet with onyx he i'm gonna touch wood now because i don't want to jinx it but at the moment he is insanely like great at sleeping oh, He's so good. about yeah he'll sleep from about 7 p.m to about 7 p.m at okay. 7 a.m. and without waking up without and he and when he wakes up he doesn't scream or cry he's just in his cot like la, 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 just playing until we come get him yeah so, I mean, it's, it's very handy but um yeah you know what tell us more about this sleep regression and how you coped with that i'm all i'd like to pretend i knew more about it i found out about it when it hit <laughs> so <laughs> like so many things in parenting yeah. you're like oh this is a thing okay <laughs> Many, many years ago, there was a little girl I, I helped raise um, and she was my sister-in-law. And I was in the hospital when she was born and I watched her learn to walk and talk. And she's she's going to be 15 this year. We're, we're still very tight. And um, like like Onyx, she slept through the night. I didn't. I heard nothing of, of any of this sleep regression. Fast forward now to when I've got my own kid and the first few weeks are brutal you know it's it's like being in the trenches and just waking up every hour and whatnot and then he started sleeping and i was like that's that's amazing get a few nights sleep sometimes i wake up and all of a sudden that went out the window and everybody i told you said oh yeah it's the regression like what why, why is this the best I'm like, I'm <laughs> so, yeah all of a sudden i started finding out about sleep regression and, and just basically the little I don't know what, what to call it, just little phases that, that babies and kids go through as they develop. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely been eye-opening. Yeah, it's crazy, and it? It's a crazy trip. Like, the first, because um, my son was premature by nine weeks, so I, I kind of missed all of that early week, days and weeks because he was in um, the NICU, like being yeah. tube fed. Um, yeah. so I would just visit him in the NICU. So, yeah, I'm kind of like, hmm. Wonder, you know, obviously nobody wants their child to be premature. You want to cook them for as long as possible. Yes, there are right. lots of benefits to that. But, um, yeah, in a sense, I missed a lot of the, the fun as well, of the early days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it sounds like you have quite a kind of holistic alternative view of health and health care um and, and the last few years with the scamdemic or plandemic whatever word you prefer or maybe you even 
it by its can you know official name um but that's altered a lot of people's perception of like public health and the global health and the well the globe not only the global nature of health systems but you know how how do we approach health as a as a country and as a people um what's your view of the like allopath of allopathic medicine and gps do you do you go in for all that i mean i suppose it's a tricky one because obviously i've been you know i've been dealing with them all my life so i've had all kinds of mixed experiences i've had the good experiences i've had the bad um i try to keep in mind that they're not all one we like to think of them all wrapped up as one system yeah. one thing i've kind of found out is that they're kind of branches and splinters and a lot of them don't know what the other one's doing and mm. when you think you know you got good and bad people and whatnot i think my philosophy with health it, it does kind of fall into the alternative but i, I don't aim for that i think it's just a, a, something i've formed you know through life mm -hmm. um i think i think i learned early to take responsibility or as much as possible for my own health and well-being. Yeah. Now, there's a limit to that. You know, if I if I need an MRI scan, I can't just close my eyes and look inside. Create an, an MRI machine. By <laughs> an MRI. Um, but I I see it as I see it all as tools. I'm not married to any particular thing. I see it all as tools for a person to use. So, for example, I I've got all kinds of injuries from fighting and, and martial arts over the years. I've got spine injuries that recently my left arm uh, just went dead. The, the tricep was dead. The pec melted away. I didn't know what to do about it. Um, now, to get treatment, mm, often they'll say things like, oh, it's going to inject something into your spine. I don't agree with it because looking into it, I find that it's often it often doesn't work. It doesn't work for long it's a little band-aid on something that needs a more holistic approach but i will go for the mri to identify the problem to see if i can then find a way to target the problem so if you just have a pain in your neck and you say i'll fix it you don't know what you're fixing mm. um the nhs you know they can take long they can drag their heels but i've dealt with it for so long that you know that i know i think where i say people not people I like to take responsibility for my own health is I have something wrong. I go and see a stranger in a white coat and I say to them, fix me. They've never met me. They don't know what it is. And I, I expect them to get it right. And if they don't, we're livid. We want to sue them. We're angry. We don't trust them. And if yeah. they do get it right, quite often we forget them. When, once we're healed, we move on. You know, we don't have a family doctor anymore that we all know. So I get it's a tough job. Um, during this this whole pandemic situation, I very much kept myself to myself a lot. I was, I was the healthiest I've ever been in my life, if I'm honest. Um, and I don't say that smugly. I, I fully recognise that a lot of people went through a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think what weirded me out the most was how polarised people got about things. Um, really quick really quick people picked a camp whereas i think what people should have said is collectively we're scared which is fine i'm i'm gonna um have a vaccine because i'm scared i'm not going to have a vaccine because i'm scared mm. 
because I want to protect my family, because I want to protect my family. You know, do you know what I mean? So then yeah. but what it became was, oh, you're not doing this. You're a tinfoil hat. Oh, you're not doing this. You're a sheep. Oh, we hate you. Mm. Um, and I think in the meantime, the NHS were working their asses off, but they're not particularly well funded. A lot of them aren't. The, the, let, let's be honest, the higher up in the system, I think a lot of the time they don't really give much thought to looking into alternative things. And I don't mean alternative like alternative medicine. I just mean you hear about cancer, you give money to cancer research, they take that money, they put it into chemotherapy. Mm. And it's like chemotherapy is great. It can it can help. Is there something else that maybe that money could go towards like preventative medicine, you know, something like that? Mm. I just like the word responsibility rather than blame because blame is such a – it kills a conversation. It's your fault dead whereas if you say responsibility it gives you the power it puts the power in your hands to respond it lets you know that this thing that you have is important what are you going to do with it do your best and that's why i always tell people your responsibility rather than fault blame and those words that just you know chop it down i hope i didn't ramble too much i think that Comes no, from. I'm just listening because yeah, I completely. I'm just yes, yes. He's a sage. He's a sage. Because <laughs> yeah, I I'm always banging on about not just responsibility in in birth, as you know, I'm a birth worker, but radical responsibility because I think because of the systems of labour care and birth, um, and maternity care that we have currently, it is it is kind of radical to 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 find out what all these you know esoteric terms mean and to question the midwife and to question the status quo of like oh everybody just goes to hospital everybody just gets induced if you have a cesarean it's because it was life-saving um so yeah I'm always talking about radical responsibility and I think you're right we need it, it was a, it was a really tough time wasn't it the last few years and yeah the it it was a shame that so many of us were kind of clashing when we should have been, like you say, just kind of rallying around and being like, this is yeah. really tough. Um, it's probably the craziest thing any of us have ever gone through so far. Right. It's something that fear can do. Um, mm -hmm. I won't say it's something fear definitely does, but it's something it can do. And it, and it, you know, you've seen a dog, if you approach a dog and it doesn't know you and it starts barking and it, it kind of got that way. I mean, you're also at the mercy in some ways of medical professionals because they have the knowledge. We, you know, we expect them to, to know what's going on. Whereas, of course, this situation was so unique and new. Mm. My distrust of it wasn't really that these people are lying to me. That My, my distrust was really like, how, how do you know? With something so new, Yeah. how do you know what works and what doesn't? And clearly, looking back, a, a lot of people didn't. You know, I don't blame governments for dropping the ball a lot of the time because if they were doing something they thought was right, okay um but i think a lot of people took their own responsibility um and, and did what they thought was right and i think when you condemn people or, or try to demonize people for doing that that's where i get a little bit shaky yeah, yeah um i was just thinking back to the, the start of your reply it made me think of um the men mental health care because i feel like that is one area where Oh, that's right. So you were talking about, um, oh God, it's gone again. But basically <laughs> with mental health, um, it's very, 
uh, unscientific, I think. Oh, that's right. So when you were talking about you, you going to someone and just expecting them when they've never met you to yeah, somehow right. fix you, I think with mental health, they, there's a lot more of that because a bit, and because it's quite unscientific. So this is one of my massive bag bugbears is about the whole um, chemical imbalance term that's just banded around in mental health, and it's like. They never tell you which chemical. They never tell never tell you like which part of the brain it's supposed to be getting produced and circulated to. But that but they but yet they say oh but if you take this pill every day for the rest of your life, that chemical imbalance is going to sort itself out. And it's like what what are you yeah. doing? Like, clearly not. Like if you can't tell me more about why you're suggesting a course of treatment, then I'm definitely not going to be taking it, and certainly not for my, the rest of my life. I mean that's that's a perfect thing. So so I myself am diagnosed with depression, um, which I think started maybe twenty fifteen. But if I'm honest, if I look back in life, I can see that there's been times in my life. And the thing is, when people hear depression, like you say, it's still it's still a term that people are not quite comfortable with. You mm. do get a lot of people that are like, well, everybody gets a little low sometimes. Yeah. What they're what they're ignoring is the the intensity and the duration of of the symptoms of what somebody's feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody gets a little tired sometimes, but we're not narcoleptic. We don't drop off, <laughs> you know, when we're walking down the street. Yeah. Um, so when I went to to an NHS doctor about it, they were absolutely amazing. We, they sat down. They said, "Right, here's you know, how do you live your life?" Um, you know, I spoke to them about training and they said, right, we, we'd recommend you don't take any medication because, well, yeah, because, you know, but they said that's, that's only what we'd recommend based on what you've told us because nobody wants to get in trouble. They, you know, they said, if, if it's something you feel you might need, mm. we'll send you some literature. And that's really what I needed. I, I wasn't going to tell the doctor. It's something at that time, at that point, I've been going through a lot for a while. And it's only when it reached a certain point, I said to her, look, I'm just telling you because you're my doctor so i've done my part you know I've, I've told you i don't want something to happen at, at some point and people say oh well we didn't know anything so we couldn't have helped you um so yeah i think that's what what made me look for alternatives to dealing with it because like you said i'm i'm a little bit scared of taking something having it alter my actual brain which is the machine i i, I view my mind and my soul operate through would i feel different and it, would i be able to identify difference you know it's it's there's so many drugs that that we're told to stay away from mind-altering substances are mind-altering substances and I'm, I'm just a little dubious about what you're getting yourself into but saying that i know people that have taken them um they've done very well from them they they were at such a drastic place that that's that helped for me i'm still a, a depressive i suppose um i just have enough experience now to know that when i'm having a terrible day when it's a depressed day yeah i'm able to get to the end of the day mm. and hope for a reset tomorrow i've yeah. got enough experience to know that okay it hits me i realize right here i am i'm in the middle of it mm. just do this and do that and, and i'm able to actually operate get things done so that by the end of the day, um, depressed or not, mm -hmm. I managed to operate similar to how I, you know, to do some of the things I needed. But it does take a heavier toll 
the exhaustion of just caring about simple things can be can be tricky um and again this is my experience with it i've got no copyright on, on depression and what it is so yeah i agree with you that i would i wouldn't want to take anything even my asthma pump I, I i don't like that i have to take it for the rest of my life but yeah. i'm not playing with it i know what it's like not to breathe so mm -hmm. i wouldn't like to take something like a pill for my brain forever yeah. because what what happens if you can't get it what happens if the price goes up or the they give you less of them or now they switch it and it's something else you have to take in its place because some pharmaceutical company did a deal and they're the ones that are making it and you know so i try to stay away from medication even aspirin and, and paracetamol i don't really don't really mess with them yeah it's a good point um especially when you look at like the states where the big farmers like you know kind of where it lives um yeah that's a good point about you know what if they just jack the prices right up or if they, they discontinue that, the one they that really you pay, yeah. On. yeah it's scary um but yeah like you say it's really such a beautiful lesson like it's it's a horrible lesson to have to learn but what i got from what you you were saying there is like it's giving you this sense of care for yourself just to be like you know yeah this is gonna be a shit day but tomorrow's another one so just do what you can go to sleep tonight and try again you know it's it's, yeah. it's really gentle well no it's not particularly gentle but it's like a life <laughs> lesson that i think eventually we all have to come to yeah i think counseling is also a, a great tool for that because um my experience of counseling is a bit like you've got this this swamp that you're trying to deal with and if somebody if they're a good counselor kind of pokes this stick in it and it's uncomfortable so you want to run but they start to kind of clear this crap and then they give you the stick and they start to show you how to do it mm -hmm. and really you want somebody to just come and drain the swamp and do it for you but that's not, that's not how, it's an inside job you have to do it you know yourself um, but I'd, I'd recommend you know people do suffer from such things anxiety when when I first had anxiety, I didn't know what it was, I, you know. And the thing is, nowadays it's it's quite trendy to have a lot of these things. So people say, "Oh, I have anxiety." When what they mean is they're, they're a little bit confused about life, um, because a lot of people I know, myself included, when you do have the real deal, you hide it for a long time. It's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of how you move, especially as a man growing up in South London you're working every day you're, you're grafting and grinding no one really cares that's what it feels like if you stop to say hey i'm going through stuff people are like well we're all going through stuff get a move on carry your load you know when people say to a man how you doing what we hear is are you good to keep going mm -hmm. when we answer yeah 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 yeah." what we mean is yeah yeah don't leave me behind i'll, I'll carry my load I'll, I'll do my thing and eventually you might reach a point where you realize just like if you broke your leg I got to stop. I got to get this fixed. I've got. I've got to look at. You know. I've got to look into what's going on because you've walked your whole life, so you think it's fine, but something's happened. Something's different. So yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's so interesting. Because yeah, as as we've stated, you are the first man to ever come on. So I'm not. I'm not accustomed to getting the male perspective so much. And yeah, I guess to an extent we women are the same but I think yeah you guys feel it more strongly that that sort of um necessity to be okay 
Yeah. You know, you can't drop the ball for a minute because, you know, you've got a, got children and a job and a home to keep. And, yeah. yeah, sometimes you do need a little respite from it. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> um. So talk us through your birth. <laughs> now, obviously, your good woman gave birth, but it was, in a sense, your birth too, as it's the birth of your son and likely one of the few that you're going to be present at <laughs> in your life. So, yeah, do you want to share a little bit about that? Well, yeah, I mean, she had she had quite a strong pregnancy. Um, everything went really well. She was healthy. We were we were both really healthy leading up to the pregnancy. Um, because the way we dealt with lockdown was just to kind of look after each other. We went for runs. We ate well. You know, we just we just did our thing. So she had a good pregnancy. There was a little bump, um, a little scare, I'd say, that the NHS put on us that I, I don't really appreciate. And, I, and I'll always kind of remember it. Um, but when it came to birth, we, we chose a home birth. Nice. We had a water a water pool. So um, a, a water's broke. I remember I was asleep. She woke me up. And she said, basically, I think my water's broken. Or I've peed the bed. <laughs> So so I was like, so I had the okay. same experience, but you know it's you know it ain't pee, but you're you're in your head, you're like trying to kind of delude yourself. And we've been, been really good. We prepared, we put down like all things on the mattress already. It was it was about nine days early. So I do remember the panic suddenly hit me, like, oh my god, this is happening. Now during the pregnancy, I'd found out the sex of of the baby, but she didn't want to know. So I was literally the only person I would have adopted. <laughs> and it was hell because I had to try and keep that. <laughs> oh my God, I don't think I could have done that. <laughs> so um, so all of a sudden I started to think of him. Here he, here he comes. Oh my God, okay. So the next day, it was like torrential rain. I ran out. I did all the shopping I could just to have all the comforts and got drenched. And once I was in, I locked the door. I was like, right, we're ready. So um, yeah, she, she, she started having contractions. We called the, the midwife. Midwives were great. Um, it was all at home. So this was during all the COVID stuff as well. So we wouldn't have been handled great if we'd been in a hospital. I knew a lot of um, fathers from our antenatal course and stuff who couldn't be present. Mm. They had to wait outside and then come in after, you know, things like that. Yeah. Whereas we were in the comfort of our home. Um, the midwife eventually said, look, it's not time yet. You know, you've got a little way to go. I'm going to pop off, but call me back if you need to try and get some sleep so this is like the evening after the night before the waters had started you know the waters, so the waters have been um gone released like more yeah. than about 24 hours ago now yeah, that's right so um it wasn't that long before she was screaming she was like cooler <laughs> so to come back so she came with two other midwives um we had three midwives in our little flat and they were amazing they did say to us look um, there, there comes a time where this hospital has, hospitals will have their different policies and our hospital said that if it's after a certain time you're supposed to come in and be induced but she was great and she said I'm officially supposed to tell you that what would you like to do we'd like to stay at home she said that's what we're doing I'm not going to ask you that again and she was fully supportive so um, we're in the, she's in the pool and I'm running around and I'm you know just this is what we trained for kind of thing. Um, it took a little while. After a while, she said, they said, let's see if you can use the loo. Because she hadn't, she hadn't 
peed or anything. So she went to the loo. She stood up. There was a baby's head. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's happened to me i've seen that happen before yeah sometimes the bladder's just obstructing it so as soon as you go okay amazing oh, i just i just remember hearing my own voice say oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> just like out of body experience like why are you saying that why are you saying oh my god could stop saying oh my god who said that <laughs> i couldn't stop doing it. it was on repeat and then all of a sudden she, she stood up she was walking back to the pool the whole baby fell out one go the midwife like a goalkeeper caught this baby <laughs> she swung him up and onto my missus chest and he was here and um she, she looked she she was convinced it was going to be a girl um because i knew the gender i already knew his name because we, we'd agreed on you know some of the names so i said to her ike ike is here um ike in my dad's language means strength mm. so my son's name is ikenna like my name is Obina. Um, so Obi means heart, Na means father. So my name is heart of the father. So he becomes strength of the father. Aww. And um, that's it. He was he was here. I remember okay. I remember not feeling like all the emotions people said you'd feel. Mm. I didn't really have those. Okay. Not 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 the way they were described to me. And I, I didn't quite expect to because I didn't have them yet, so I didn't know if they'd suddenly kick in. Mm. I do remember when he first cried, it hit it hit me just to hear his voice. Mm. Kind of knocked me and I felt a little tear. Mm. But really, my whole thing was, is she safe? Is he safe? Are they okay? Is mm. he healthy? What do we do? Rather than, I didn't feel that rush of emotions. I loved him because he was mine, but I didn't know him. I, I didn't know this, you know. Whereas now he's he's my little guy. He's, you know, he's, he's everything. So um, I didn't I feel that. It's, it's almost. I think it's almost better to let it build and grow gradually because it won't yeah. be so overwhelming to have it. Yeah. And, and sometimes I feel like that now. Sometimes I love him so much I don't think I can hold it. I don't think I can do this. You know, it's too much. You know, I love him too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, he was here, and then the midwives hung around for a little while. Um, there were some stitches that needed doing and, and then after a while they said look see you later you know and they were off and that's when it got scary because it was like I've looked after babies um, and children all my life I've got nephews um, but it's the first time where you have that feeling of when is somebody going to come back and get this baby? And then you realise no one's coming to get this baby. <laughs> you, it's you. That's oh, it's like, yeah, forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was, to be honest, I mean, I didn't have to go through the pain of it. Um, but the experience was all at home. And and it was, to me, it couldn't have been smoother and, and nicer. My missus is an absolute soldier. She was amazing. Um, and, yeah, she showed me very soon after he was born i realized the difference between a, fa a father and a mother and we're not we're not equal <laughs> we're not equal at all watching her cry while she breastfed without sleep and i looked at her and i was just like nah this is a whole i thought you know we're 50 50 on this i mean it was a whole different it was a whole different you know i realized that i'll never i'll never sacrifice you know and because i can't it's not what i'm designed to do my sacrifice comes in different ways yeah 
Um, but it, it made me think about my own mom, my own dad, um, things I hadn't really considered. I'm very close with my parents to this day, um, but I haven't really considered just that primal attachment often, you know, flashbacks to to me being a child and a toddler. And, you know, one of my first memories is my dad's hands, my dad's big hands, patting me on the back to get my asthma cleared, you know, things like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a trip. It still is. Every, every day is different. You know, they just keep changing. Um, you hear all this when you're not a parent. You hear all these generic things, but now they have so much meaning, you know. Yeah, you just it's just inexplicable, isn't it? You can't describe yeah. it because yeah, until you know. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, it's a lovely tale though. Um, like have you got any personal mythology around it? Like I have quite a my son's birth has quite a strong storytelling element to it. Do, do you have any of that? Um, I don't I don't know really. I mean, like I said, my dad my dad's um was born in southeastern Nigeria. Um and my mum's family are from northeastern Scotland. There's a lot of folklore, um, mythology, cosmology in both both cultures that I was raised with quite naturally. Um, so, for example, when I was born, it's believed that in, in my dad's culture, um, the, the original religion is called Odinani. And in this tradition, we believe in reincarnation. And not quite like a Buddhist. Um, it's not like you can become a dog. You know, it's believed that human soul comes back as a human. Okay. Um, a dog's soul will come back as a dog and a tree will come back as a tree but often a human will go back into the same family and they'll even they might even give you a hint before they die who they're coming back as or you know oh, cool. um, yeah so my dad when i was when i was when my mom was pregnant with me my dad dreamt about his father who passed before i was born oh. and he said he never dreams about his dad and all of a sudden his dad was in london he had a briefcase and a suit Okay. and my dad said to him oh what are you doing here and he said oh, i'm going to be living here now i've got a job here and then i was born mm -hmm. and it's now believed i didn't realize how widely the families believed that i am the reincarnation of my grandfather okay. so i didn't i didn't quite attach the same to my son but i watch him for because i've lost all my my grandparents before he was born okay. um my parents have had health issues and there was quite a big scare before he was born with my dad which we, you know, which really uh, took on some of that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it's quite. I can quite call it the same as as what you've described. Oh, okay, but maybe in the future you might discover who who he is. Yeah. <laughs> and so is that why you chose the name that you did, or is that was that a family name, the father element? Yeah, my brother's called Ugona, which is pride of the father. Um, so you're all well, something of the father. Yes, not my sister. My sister's um, Adama, which means um, like the first daughter of be with beauty, you know, beautiful oldest daughter. Um, so I suppose I wanted to, my sister didn't, didn't give my nephew uh, an Igbo name. My brother didn't give his son an Igbo name. I love my Igbo name. Uh, I love my, my culture. So for me, I knew I'd want it. If it wasn't going to, you know, if my missus didn't agree to a first name, it's going to be his middle name. It's going to be something. <laughs> but we just both loved the name. Um, obviously, 
a lot of people think it's, it's vague of me to call my son strength of the farmer. Um, <laughs> but in Igbo culture, it's not, nothing is simple. You know, the language is very um, metaphorical at times. It's very, you know, the, the, the language is interesting. So strength of the farmer could mean he is my strength. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he is the strength that I, that I hold. Um, it could mean he has my strength. The term father could, could re, uh, mean God. So it could be a way of saying it's the strength of God. So yeah, I just liked it. It's not just yeah. a big up. It's not just a, yeah, look, look. Yeah, exactly. Look how strong I am. But he, he is going to train martial arts. I had his boxing gloves and his jiu-jitsu gi long before he was out of the womb. Really? Has he sort of got your interest in it? I mean, I every day after his nap, I'll, I'll play jiu-jitsu with him. And it has to be played so that he, he'll take it on. Because if it's a task, kids don't want to do it. So I'll do things like I'll grab his leg and he'll use his other leg to kick it off. And when I break the grip, I, I always said, yay. So now every time he breaks the grip, he says, yay. Um, when he reaches a certain age, I'm going to have him do things like hold onto my back with certain grips. And I'm going to walk and try and shake him off. And I want him to hold on and, and ride on me. And I'm just going to slowly introduce these things to him as fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I want him to have a little bit of a head start because I don't want him to fight for a living. I've, I've dabbled in that myself. I've spent a lot of my life around fighters. Um, and it's it's quite a difference between what I do. I, I'm a fitness personal trainer. I teach people how to look after themselves and be well individually. I look at people and their needs mm -hmm. and their blockages. And together we try to work through those. That's why I, I call myself a holistic trainer. Um, whereas my boxing coaches um they literally are sending people into danger so they're they're so on technique and keeping you safe because every person they send you know the good coaches i've had some great coaches uh, like I, I recommend if somebody wanted to box and they live in london yeah. go see uh, john Duron. um absolutely amazing boxing coach but people like him take somebody on as family over time and then put them in a dangerous situation knowing that they've prepared them as best they can that's not something i do you know I'll, I'll hold pads for people but that's to get their lungs working i make sure they use good technique just because that's how i'm trained you've got gloves on i've got pads we might as well do it properly but if somebody does drop their hands and they're a 70 year old man i'm not expecting him to get in a cage or in the ring I'm trying to get his lungs going. Yeah. Whereas, you know, these these coaches I've worked with over the years, if you drop your hand, they'll be livid <laughs> because you're putting yourself at risk. And, you know, that's that's their whole thing. The whole thing is you being the best you can for the performance to keep you safe, to come out victorious and, and you know, to, and to do it. Um, so with my son, he'll have coaches but I want him to be able to look after himself. Um, I want him to, to have a path. Like when I was growing up, a lot of my friends who kind of took to drugs and alcohol, I dabbled a bit, but I had a choice to make. I go out and get wasted on Saturday and I get beat up on Sunday. Or I call it a day, <laughs> drink water on Saturday. Maybe. And do well on, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and do well on a Sunday morning. And I'd, I'd like him to have a path because I find... For, for young people 
um, I wouldn't even say young men anymore. I think that that line is much more blurred. Just for young people mm. in a society that's more and more confusing, more and more polarized, we give them more and more options. You can be this, you can be that, you can go there, you can do this. And we're not told quite where those those options will lead you. I think it's nice to have a path to improvement that also has the, the benefit of self-defense and learning about yourself. Um, I'd like him to go to school and if somebody tries to bully him, he's absolutely calm. He doesn't need to lose his call. He doesn't need to, you know, lose control of his emotions because he's been drilled on how to behave in such a way and let that spread you know hopefully through him towards other people that's that's my hope i'd like him to do music or something as a profession something else that doesn't put his body at risk and his brain but um, he will he will any kids i have um girl or boy that that's going to be something that they do amazing and uh, you're a pisces aren't you what is your son um what what's what september <laughs> um, september the what i think it'll be a it could be a virgo i don't think he's virgo or it could oh gosh september what's after virgo libra and that's that's more october what's before i've got no i, I never follow signs i just know of a pisces but <clears throat> i don't know what a pisces is or Leo, does. virgo or Okay, interesting. I'm just, I'm just curious. <laughs> not what um, I am. <laughs> yes, Pisces. <laughs> so you've recently um, relocated, so somewhere less urban and developed, haven't you? Um, so what are the benefits of raising raising children outside of cities? I can imagine the obvious ones, but has there been any unexpected benefits that you and your family have enjoyed? I mean, I'll be honest. We've we've moved out um, to deep Essex, all the way near Ipswich, okay. uh, that that far out. And um, I mean, I, I, I've been in South London for 40 years of my life. South East London is, is home to me. Mm -hmm. um, he was born there. It's, it's what, you know, it's where I love. But um, my folks live in Scotland, okay. um, as does my sister. My brother lives on the other side of the planet in Australia. And my missus family are, are all here. They all relocated here over various reasons. So um, it just made sense to have family near. Yeah, and it, it really works out because he plays with his cousins. His yeah. his grandmere can look after him. Um, his uncles are here. He's got aunties here. The other thing is as well, I mean, South London gets a, a bad reputation. For me, growing up in South London meant green everywhere. Parks are here. Woods are there. Yeah. Um, trees are everywhere. You know, even if you go ghetto, there's trees yeah it's, it's true it's like such a concrete jungle but it's yeah, i mean exactly. maybe we've just got used to little but there's so many places i've gone to where there aren't trees even in london and um i feel weird you know growing up where i grew up um i grew up in forest hill dulwich peckham um i i still to this day you know love the area but yeah i mean here it's it's quieter um people are friendlier i mean i knew everybody in, in south because like i said it was easy. I grew up there. Yeah. I knew the business owners. I knew homeless people. I knew people and their stories. I knew their kids. I knew their dogs' names. <laughs> you know, I knew I knew everyone. Um, here, not so much. But there, there's so much around. So many playgroups for kids. So many children 
Um, and I think a lot of people also from London seem to have kind of relocated around here. Okay. Um, prices are ch uh, cheaper. We were living in a one-bed flat with this boy growing, and eventually it got to a point where I realised we got to do something. Um, so now we're, we're in a, a house for a very similar price. Um, he gets to run around in his own room, you know, he's, he's with his own bed. Whereas before he was joined onto the side of our bed in our, you know, in our flat. Mm. Um, it's just it's just better for for kids, I think. If I if I won the lottery, in all honesty, I'd probably go back to South London. <laughs> um, I know that sounds strange. A lot of people say, "Why don't Why don't you go Rio de Janeiro?" Um, but it's it's a spiritual home for me as well. It's like I said, it's where I spent all my life and all the good and bad experiences I ever had. I know the streets there. I know I know so many generations of people there. Um, I was part of the community. Mm. My mum, my mum was a teacher in the same school I went to. So I helped out a lot. And I've seen generations of children grow up, have their own kids. Um, so, yeah, but, but out here it is, it's very scenic. There's mm. so many things around. It's, it's nice. Sounds lush. Yeah. I'd like to, I'm trying to move out of um, Forest Hill to, to Wolverhampton, just like you okay. say, my mum's there and yeah, yeah, for childcare, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to afford a nanny or you know. Oh my god, it's expensive. Yeah. So yeah, it would just be so much easier. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, so you, I think you self-identify as neurodivergent. Yes, neurodivergent. Yeah. yeah. So is if you don't, if you care to, can you tell us what 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 are the which of the neurodivergent labels you are and what have you found to be <laughs> flavor. <laughs> yeah, what flavor of neurodivergence do you have? And have you found it um what have you found useful about this, this kind of greater awareness and diagnostic capability now? Um so I was I was diagnosed with ADHD okay. in my early mid thirties. Mm -hmm. Um and I actually was suspicious. I, I throughout my life I've I've had certain struggles and I've done what any normal person would do. I just tried to hide them. <laughs> try to find work around. Um you know loads of loads of ways I realized I I can't learn. And this is this is going through a school system. I went to university even. Um I had to find my own workarounds and you know so um when I when I went to speak to my doctors around the same time as as speaking of, about depression, and again the doctor was really good, and she said, "I'm going to ask you two things. What if you do have ADHD? Mm. What if you do?" So I said to her, "Then I'll just look for some ways to deal with it." And she said, "Okay, what if you don't have it? What if you find out you don't?" And I said, "And it's it's a good question to ask." Mm. Um, and I think I replied something along the lines of, "Well, then I'll keep." working on myself and figuring things out. But um, I went I went to see the psychologist and we did some some tests. And when he did say, you you score quite high with ADHD, I felt I felt some relief because it's that feeling of I knew something was up. <laughs> you know, I knew something was wrong. Like um, work, isn't it? You're like, oh, I'm going to follow that little thread and that little clue. <laughs> and, and again, I then took that information and, and decided to do some of my own research rather than take tablets, which again, he said, look, you got this far. You're, you're holding a job. 
I wouldn't recommend that you need to alter your brain chemistry, you know, but, but here's some, you know, what would you like to do? I, I opted for like leaflets and stuff, which I never read because I've got ADHD. And, um, <laughs> but, I mean, for me, I don't, I don't know if I even believe ADHD as, as its own thing. I think that we give these terms to, there's, there's a spectrum of neurodiversity is, is probably quite a good term. Um, because it really gets to the core of what it is. Something in your brain, the pathway it's taking isn't the the common pathway, if there is such a thing. Um, it can be liberating. It can be the opposite. I think sometimes people identify as it yeah. so much that they can't the look outside. Personality, sort of kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and again, it's become one of those things, like on social media, all of a sudden, everybody has ADHD. Oh, how I deal with ADHD, and I got ADHD. And when and I was growing up, feed is just everything ADHD at the moment. I don't know if it's having a little moment. Yeah, it's the last thing I was proud of or wanted to admit when I was growing up. Um, even as an adult, I found I, I worked in in uh, in media for sixteen years, okay. and when I did find out I, I had it, um, I realized no one gives a shit. Like, sorry, I don't know if I can swear on her, but. Nobody really, really cares. Um, as in, somebody will send you a document, say read through this and, and do the things, and you'll say, "Oh, I can't, I can't really learn this way." And they'll say, "Well, everybody else does. Do it. We're on a deadline." Yeah. Um, now that was no different to before I found out I had it. It's only now I was able to say words. I was able to say, "Well, I have ADHD." Whereas before, all my life, all I've done is nod my head and then go figure out how to do it somebody said do you understand how to fit into yeah. that system yeah um, but it, it's it definitely led to it probably helped with the um you know building the depression so many ways i just chased dopamine trying to hide from this responsibility or that so many ways i felt small i remember in school i, I was well behaved in school so that wasn't an issue i wasn't hyperactive so these things weren't caught but i'd be called things like a dreamer um, I remember every parent's evening. You know, he's a good boy. He just doesn't try. And I remember, I remember distinctly feeling, well, I'm trying my best. I must be stupid. Mm. But I don't feel stupid. I feel like my thoughts are intelligent. I feel talented and creative in so many ways. I'm articulate. Um, but there were so many things. When I went to university, I didn't know how to write an essay. I, I had no clue. So I literally wrote a bad one. When they corrected it, I wrote another one based off that until by my final year, I was doing what they'd asked. Mm. Um, but that's that's been a lot of my life learning. The, the only thing I think it helps me with, no, not the only thing, one of the things I think it helps me with the most is physical learning. If I'm in a jiu-jitsu class and I see the coach doing something, my brain can wrap itself around it quite easy because it's tangible. It's something real. Um, sometimes the coach will be choking somebody and say, right, this is what we're going to do. And I'll actually say, can you choke me? Because I need to feel what it feels like. <laughs> I think a lot of people look at me like I'm crazy, but it's it, it, that um, tangible, visceral way of, of contact. Because then when I put it on somebody, I'll know I'm closer to getting to, to you know, what it's supposed to be. Um so when I hear these terms like neurodiverse, I think it's just this spectrum of, of behaviours that we've developed. I, I'm, I'm thinking like if I was in, I don't know, thousands of years ago, 
in a tribe, mm. I'd be pretty useful. I spot things before they happen. Not, you know, I'm not Jason Bourne, but I often spot things before they happen due to pattern recognition. I catch small things. I hear everything to the point where it's hard for me to sleep because I can hear noises far away. Mm. Um, you know, these things I think can be useful in the right setting. The only difference is if you're in an office reading emails, it might not be the right setting. Mm. Um, and again, I know other people with ADHD. Um, there's another personal trainer I know. Um, he has it so severely, he has to take tablets. And he is a jittery mess. If not, it really needs to, you know, I, I'm not that I'm not that side of it. Um, but for me, to this day, I struggle with yeah. things that are non-tangible. I find it easy to read a book. I find it hard to read off a screen. Yeah. Um, passwords, I've never remembered a password in my life. The second I make it, I write it down. I forgot where I've written it down. Okay, I, lose... I have the same one for everything. <laughs> I lose everything. I misplace things. And I, and I I mean, I literally have something, but I've got two earbuds and I've lost one. So then I go on this mad dash looking for it and I find it and the other one's gone. <laughs> That's just my brain. That's just how it, my poor missus has to put up with it. She has to know what's going on. She has to do the heavy lifting on that side. Um, so yeah i think i think for me it's again it's it's a term I, I have no extreme feelings towards it i think often the medical or or psychiatric um system needs somewhere to put something so it dumps it in there it might be that i don't have adhd i have something related that's different um i've met a lot of people now that and i train a lot of people who learn differently and it's helped me loads i train people that have um i've trained autistic children and had to devise a way to get things across to them so if you're saying like left hand punch they'll just stare at me and i can't stop the whole class to help them so i had to devise a way with this one particular child that i'll say left hand punch and as i walk past him i just tap him on his left shoulder and he starts punching as long as I remember that when we switch to tap him on his right, you know, and it, it was like a eureka moment when I found that out. And, and I connect with it because I didn't have someone to do that for me. If I had, and, and I don't expect schools to have that kind of resource in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. But if I had, I just wonder how different I'd be with, you know, with learning. The struggles I had to go through, um, which a lot of them I'm leaving out, but some of them were to the point where I wondered, do I have autism? Um, is there some kind of, you know, serious thing, which I had to just keep inside. Um, I'm quite an introvert anyway. So I grew up a lot of the time just hiding all this. And like I said, chasing dopamine and, and you know, the, the things we take for granted now, I, I realised how many people shared a very similar experience to me. And I can kind of help some of those in in learning how to move around and, and get healthy. Yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, growing up in the 80s has a lot to answer for because, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's come along in, in, in leaps and bounds in the last sort of, you know, 50 years, 40 years. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, because, like, when you mentioned about the asthma, I bet those um, 80s inhalers were, like, because I've seen 80s, 
mobile phones and it was like a, a case that you had to cart around with you. So they must have been ridiculous. <laughs> and of course, with my ADHD, I lost my, when I did have a small pump, I forgot it or I lost it a lot. <laughs> so I even remember on many occasions, I'd, I'd go to a friend's house to sleep the night. I have an asthma attack in the middle of the night and I didn't want to wake anybody up. So I literally lie. I'd lie there literally and and tell myself, "Don't die. Just keep breathing." And when I think back on this as a child, I, you know, it, it brings emotion. But as a child, I all I thought was, "Right, just keep breathing. Breathe in and out. You'll make it till morning." And literally, in the hundreds, hundreds of of times, because I'm that forgetful and careless. <laughs> in that, you know, that I would just. Forget no, it. you've got a label for it now. So it's not forgetful and careless. It's true, true. And those are the words I always heard. You're forgetful, yeah. you're dreaming. Back then, we had. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of that with when you mentioned the the school reports. It was always, um, uh, what would they say? Rain has potential, but she, she doesn't apply herself. Every year without fail has potential, but doesn't apply herself. And it's like, I do. It's just, I don't only apply myself when I'm interested. And I'm, often I'm not. <laughs> and you are going to know about it if I'm not interested. Yeah. It's still the same today. That's right. One, one of the things I had to learn as an adult, which all adults have to learn, but I had to really get into the roots of it, is finding ways to do the tasks I don't want to do and reroute my brain to enjoy them. So when I, when I was doing my um, personal training qualification, yeah. I didn't enjoy school. I don't enjoy the idea of exams. Even if it's something I enjoyed, my brain was already ready not to. But I knew I knew this is something I'm going to do. So when it came time to revise, the word revision, ugh, you know, made me feel sick. So what I do I'm is getting like already. Just <laughs> <laughs> so what I do is I'd put on a vinyl, and I'd put out all the things I wanted: any drink, any food, and anything that I could be distracted to go look for is here. I put my laptop on my lap put a blanket over my legs and I'd sit and listen to music. When the vinyl finished, it made, I had to get up, flip it, choose a different one. It has to be music without words. I can't study with, with words. Um, so I found a way to the point where I'd start to look forward to revision. Um, and again, when I come across clients, a lot of my clients are intimidated to go into gyms. They don't want to work out. It's not something they grew up doing. It's not something they're accustomed to, or they have some trauma where they were injured or they put on weight because of something. And I've heard personal trainers in the past, not all of them, but I've definitely heard those ones who say, just cut out carbs. It's kind of like looking at a car. You know, they're looking at this component. Whereas, well, why, why is this, what, what's happened? And what happens day to day? because of my experience and my difference in learning and the methods I've been able to come up with for myself, I'm able to help people come up with their own. That's why I say I don't do the work, but I can suggest things and together, and it, it can take a lot of time. I, I understand why a lot of personal trainers, if they've got 40 clients and they're banging them out and it's the fast food, you know, version, I get it. For me, I, I have the luxury that I work for myself I like all my clients. I'd probably say I love all my clients. Um, and I deeply care about them conquering whatever it is they're trying to conquer. Whatever falls in my remit. If they need counselling, I'd recommend counselling. If somebody comes to me and says, like I said, um, 
oh, I want to fight. I want to be a boxer. Well, I can I can get them fit for that, but then I'd send them to John Deron or you know um, Charlie and, and Mikey here in Colchester who I train with. Um, I'd send them to somebody who specifies in that. But for me, I specify in helping people get a hold of themselves so they can train and hopefully enjoy training and make it theirs. Mm. Before they do that, they see it as this thing they need to fit into, not something that they can wrap around themselves and make their own. And that's that's kind of, you know, that's the joy of what I do. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? Because, yeah, like what works for your body and for your style is going to be completely different to the next person. That's right. That's You've got right. to enjoy it because otherwise it's just a slog, isn't it? And you'll only be able right. to slog it out for five weeks, maybe, if you're lucky. Yeah, we're not ants. We're not machines. So this um, one-size-fits-all thing, like we're at this point now where people enjoy being cold on social media. You know, they say things like, well, if you, if you don't want to be fat, stop eating, do this and do it. But they're not invested. They don't care. They're not offering a solution. No. You know, and they say, well, facts don't care about your feelings. Yes, all right, that's kind of true. But they're just parroting something they heard from, you know, whatever influencer. Um, because they like the idea of the stoic warrior man. But they've never had to deal with it. You know, if, if you've had both your knees replaced and you're, you put on loads of weight and you don't know where it came from and there's going to be a lot more tinkering that you need to do than just cut out carbs yeah. or just stop eating and, and they go for a run. Start going to the gym right away because yeah. they don't go for a run. That's right. Um, when I deal with people that um, ha haven't run before, the first thing we do is we we build a a pathway to running rather than say right go for a run and smash your knees and your ankles and your hips. They go for a walk. Um, I think you remember once we spoke about walking and carrying a weight in one. Yeah. one side and then just to create these these and then maybe a small jog and then just to start to get the tendons and the ligaments ready to do what it needs to be done um, because if i try to run a marathon now i could die i could actually die it doesn't matter how fit i think i am mm. i'm not fit to the task and through that building of fitness people find the health they need I, I, most of my clients um will say to me, I did this today. Not something I asked them to do, but, oh, I did this today. I went for a run today. Oh, I've been doing this. Oh, that thing we worked on, I've been doing it. Oh, I've been doing... That's what I want to hear. Yeah, but because that's so more, nice. So yeah, sad. as much as I like receiving money for what I do, weirdly, my dream is that I I help this person till eventually they don't need me. That's That's kind of the weird thing. And hopefully through word of mouth, they speak to somebody who then needs me, but I'd like clients to train on their own. So they don't need me standing in front of them. I do have clients who need me in front of them to train. That's just how they are. It's how they operate. That's great. I have clients that need me to, to train with them. So I'll schedule days where I'm not so tired and I'll lift weights with them and we'll run together. But I have clients who just need some information. We've worked together long enough. They know how to do it safely. Um, the two things I never want to hear from a client are I'm not really feeling this exercise or ouch I've injured myself I can't hear either of those things I'd rather the first one because we can go somewhere from there yeah. whereas injured can't yeah. go anywhere but, but rehab yeah so um, 
you know, that's that's the joys of what I do. And when you see someone, uh, there's a jazz drummer that I train, um, quite a famous guy. I won't I won't drop his name, but his his star is really rising. He's in he's in America right now touring, working with Questlove and, and huge names. And um, watching him during the beginning of the pandemic, he put on a lot of weight. He's a young guy, yeah. and we I got him boxing because. I can't give him too many weights. I can't slow him down. I need him. He drums fast. That's what he does. So we found ways, and he likes the puzzle of boxing and the combinations and the puzzle of where to move your head, and and he just shed the weight. And when I just see him now in America, every time he, tra he travels, he finds a gym, does his training. When he comes back to the UK, you know, we're training. It's a joy to me to know I helped him get there. You know, I didn't do it, but yeah. I helped find a path. I've had clients with drug addiction um, who swapped it for training. And again, I'm not a counsellor. That's not, you know, I wouldn't say, let's swap your drug addiction for training. I'd never say that I could do that for somebody. But that's what happened. And when they say to me, oh, this is what I do now, and this is what I, I'm really into, it's, it's, you know, there's no bigger joy. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, to find a calling it sounds like it's a calling you know yeah, yeah like you said it's not a day job it's not just clock in clock out forget about it it's you know yeah. changing people's lives for the better if you can not you know if and when you can beautiful i did this alongside my day job until it became so bureaucratic i had to leave and luckily i built up quite a bit that i walked out yeah. whereas everyone was scared to walk out because i understood they had mortgages you know they needed money mm. i'd seen this coming and i'd set this up and then when they kind of pushed me, I was like, nope, I'm cool. Don't need to do this. I don't need to put up with this. And I left. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit the month after. <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> but luckily for me, all of a sudden, I didn't have anyone pushing me around. Um, I didn't have to tell somebody when I'm going to go eat lunch. And everybody suddenly started calling me and saying, I need to train. I want to I do something. So I was lucky. You know, I was really lucky. I didn't work in a gym which meant when all the gyms shut down, I was really busy. I was cycling here, going to this park, doing Zoom sessions, and built up a lot of the clients. Even now, I still train a lot of the clients in London that I built up over that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the beauty of it now. You can do it all virtually. I love yeah. it. Well, lucky for you and lucky for your clients. Long live Green Flow Fitness. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you and your family all the luck down there in Ipswich. Yes. We're in Colchester, but not far from Ipswich. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Colchester. Oh, okay. Yes, the deepest, darkest Essex. That is. Yeah. I don't think I realised before I moved it. <laughs> yeah, Essex is big, so yeah, most people know barking and dagging them, but there's a whole heap. Yeah. <laughs> I've got friends in Essex who now I'm further away from than when I was in London. Really? Uh, yeah. So. All right, Obi. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. I think we can safely say, I'll have to put it out again to my listeners, but I think we'll have another man on. You've done well. <laughs> if you'll come back. All right. Lovely. Take care. Thanks so much. Take it easy.